You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here is your host, Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Follow me on Twitter at Nick Way. No Gary Guthrie this episode for this rant about tech topics, but we shall press. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the MLGA Network of Podcasts. Let's make liberty great again, fam. So, should we get into it? I think we should. Topic. Don't feign outrage. You brought this on yourselves. So, if you haven't heard, the president has gone to war with Twitter. From Reuters. The U.S. President Donald Trump is expected to order a review of a law that has long protected Twitter, Facebook, and Alphabet's Google from being responsible for materials posted by their users, according to a draft executive order. A source familiar with the situation has said, since that Reuters report, this draft executive order is now signed by the president. So what exactly does this executive order actually do and or say? Well... The order would direct executive branch agencies, including the Federal Communications Commission, that's the FCC, and the Federal Trade Commission, that's the FTC, to study whether they can place new rules on the companies. Taken from the executive order, it reads as follows. Uh, To advance the policy described in subsections A of this section, which is basically a screed in the first half of the executive order about how unfair these platforms are, all executive departments and agencies should ensure that their application of section 230C properly reflects the narrow purpose of the section and take all appropriate actions in this regard. Within 60 days of the date of the order, that's 60 days as of yesterday, Thursday, the 28th, it is now the 29th as I make this, the Secretary of Commerce, in consultation with the Attorney General and and acting through the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which, side note, I thought that's what the FCC was, but apparently there's another government agency dealing with telecommunications, but I digress, shall file a petition for rulemaking with the FCC, requesting that the FCC expeditiously uh, proposes regulations to clarify and yada, yada, yada. So there's a big debate going on on the Twitter sphere about whether or not this was this is legal and how we should interpret um, the Communication Decency Act Section 230. So what prompted this? Because typically, you know, the president always bitches and complains about social media, this, that, and the other thing. He had a for- he had some sort of White House forum last year where he brought in some dissidents to complain about some of the deplatforming that was going on. And word to the wise to those who would want to push back about the fact that bias doesn't exist on these social media platforms. You are liars. To say that these platforms... Don't suppress certain types of speech, certain abhorrent types of speech, certain abhorrent content. 
And to say that that does not have a bias is for you to be disingenuous, false, and you need to kind of get the hell out of the Twitter sphere and get to the rest of these social media platforms. I, with my co-host Gary, have discussed this in the past. Bias does exist. Bias is real. And bias exists algorithmically because algorithms are written by humans. Okay, that is my screed and my rant about there not being any political bias on these platforms. So, back to what the president complained about, or at the very least, what was the what was the catalyst for him going um, slightly thermonuclear by writing this executive order? Well, he posted the president of the United States a tweet talking about voter fraud, mail-in voter fraud. There's a big push around the country because of the COVID-19 lockdowns and or uh, stay-at-home orders that would make it very, very difficult to do, um, well, electioning, right? Particularly in the fall if the virus were to rear its ugly head again. So a lot of states are instituting mail-in validity. And there's a big push during the national election for which we'll be having here in November for there to be mail-in balloting. The president posted a tweet that basically said that this um, this will result in widespread fraud and blah, 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 blah. Now, to be fair, widespread fraud? Nah, that's never been proven. But individual cases of fraud and, you know, ballot harvesting, stuff like that, I'm going to tell you, as someone who does grassroots, grassroots canvassing and dealing with secretaries of states and election boards in more rural areas and or more urban areas, um, that absolutely positively does happen. And what happened was Twitter then subsequently put a fact check on that tweet saying that the president's facts were wrong. Their sources were, of course, more anti-Trump liberal-leaning outlets. Mainstream, to say the less. I think they used The Hill and Washington Post and New York Times and stuff to basically refute the assertion that the president was making in the tweet. That was wrong. It was objectively wrong because of its absolutism. There is no such thing as widespread voter fraud, but there are more than enough individual cases over the last 10 years particularly in the last election, of voter fraud. Um, People have gone to jail. Um, Suits have been brought. This does happen. So um, to say from a fact check perspective that because the president brought up in the tweet that there's a potential for this does not make it false. So this is what prompted the president to go, um, for lack of a better word, um, apeshit. And subsequently then, I guess write out this executive order or we, we you know the, the truth be told this this executive order was probably sitting in the desk awaiting this because last year there was this forum at the white house about bias on these social media platforms so here we go right this was the beginnings of shots fired now as i record this podcast this very morning there is all kinds of foolishness going on. On the one hand, you had Mark Zuckerberg come out a couple days ago when you know when this whole kerfuffle about the fact checking of this week came out and saying, "Hey, that's not what. Hey, 
Facebook doesn't do this, and you know we don't think we want to be the arbiters of truth. This is also um, double speaking a lie because many many members of our MLDA network have been uh, put in jail, Twitter uh, Twitter and or Facebook jail, particularly Facebook jail, or they've been zucked as we like to affectionately call it, i.e., banned from the platform or unable to post on the platform for a certain period of time. So that that's kind of a lie. Um, so. And they do put fact checks on some Facebook posts. I, but I don't think their, I think their position is not to remove them, all right, or not to make the the, the post hard to see, but to amend, uh, append, um, fact check and other links to um, things that are posted. I've I've seen it happen to people. I I think it's even happened to a couple of mine that I've had to dispute. Um, so, of course left-wing Twitter and basically left-wing tech went after Zuckerberg like he was crazy. And this is sort of the genesis of the problem. When you read articles, like the one I read this morning from um, Silicon Valley Insider, that is basically saying, well, Trump posted something else this morning, I guess about the, the looting and the, and, the, and, the, and the riots that are going on in Minneapolis because of the murder of Gordon Lloyd um, by police. Um, Twitter pulled it down or at least hid, but hit it and, or removed it, the tweet or made the tweet hard to get to because it violated terms of service for incitement to violence. Um, the tweet was kind of eh, slightly incendiary in the sense that like, he's basically saying like, if the looting starts, the shooting starts, which I mean, this is true, but I don't, I don't really think this is something the president should probably be saying, but eh, whatever it's Twitter and it's the president and you know, whatever. You know, Donald J. Trump, 45th president, he says stuff. Um, but this kind of escalates even more because Twitter put sanctions, so to speak, on this tweet. But Facebook hasn't removed the tweet. And so you now have the Silicon Valley Insider yelling about, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't Facebook remove this? And they, they should remove it because Twitter removed it. That type of male Karen, Karen, right, to... To, to coin the term Karen, that snitching, that that uh, breathlessness, that that foolishness of, for lack of a better word, the indiscriminate sort of sense, soft censorship of certain tweets who come from certain people um, who are that they're resistance journalists of, of all media, of all sectors, right? Tech media, um, financial media, you know, special interest media, whatever. It's that type of stuff that has brought us to the point that we are at today, where now we're weakening Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act, right? Section 230 is why the internet, A, is a cesspool, but also why it is the greatest expression of free thought on the planet, particularly if your platform resides in the continental United States because of our First Amendment protections. But they have been shoot. They, this has been a, a cold war on the Internet for about a decade would be too long. Right. But it's been a while. I, you at least start to see it around 2012. Um, and I think we're now, this is now coming to a head because for a very long time to describe the left and right paradigm, the left, right 
ideological paradigms of how the internet is to function is the left has always been free, open. The ninth, you know, the, the Communications Decency Act was a great um, bulwark against what the right was doing at the time, and that is trying to regulate the internet because, you know, children, human trafficking, prostitution, drugs, blah, blah, blah. The Section 230 was this great compromise in, the, in, the tele, in this telecommunication or this Communications Decency Act. It was a pretty cool provision. And the provision of it was basically like no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or a speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. I can post on Twitter. I can post in the comments. What they tend to forget, though, is that there are other sections of this that all gives said computer service providers carte blanche to remove crap. It's why people have shut down comment sections. It's why we have content moderation. This, this is a give and take between that. And I think the problem is getting back to this Cold War that has started this. And I, I would probably need to do a much longer podcast about really the etymology of the term platform, which is something me and Gary discussed back in episode 10 or 11. And the fact that like platform meant very different things in 1996, in 2006, even in 2010, than it is now. Um, and this other thing about like this presumption of free speech, kind of like this presumption of of privacy on these basically private platforms. The Communication Decency Act did not give absolute immunity and protections for um, interactive computer services i.e. Content, pro content providers, right? Or not even, well, content providers or indoor platforms, right? Content platforms. It, di it did not, okay? They're still sued all the time. They, the suits lately have been coming from the right, right? <laughs> that, um, and they've been, you know, they've been, um, a lot of them are out of California and to file that type of petition or suit against a Twitter or a Facebook or whatever in California is a is a worthless cause. They get thrown out all the time. And, um, you know, with the exception of maybe one case that came out of the D.C. Circuit for the crazy Laura Loomer. Um, but that, again, you know, they're going to embank the full D.C. Circuit Court to review that suit against Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. But this deep platforming thing is a, is a real thing. And the left is just is super guilty of this. The right is also very guilty of this as well. Everyone, anyone remember Backpage.com? I mean, there have been assaults on Section 230 since the ink was dry on the legislation signed by Clinton, the President Clinton, because this was 1996. So this has been a long time coming, and this Cold War has gotten pretty hot. And now that Twitter has basically taken a ideological, in my opinion, stance, um, or a resistance-like stance on basically harassing every harassing every tweet that the president now puts out, no matter how idiotic, because most of them have been pretty idiotic in the last couple of weeks. This is going to kill us all, and so whatever protection or you know that was on that was the right flank of these platforms is gone. We've lost Ted Cruz to TBS. 
what I call Trump derangement syndrome because Trump derangement syndrome is a bipartisan affliction. Because and, and on the right, it's basically like the president can do no wrong. We must defend him at all costs, even at the expense of a very petty executive order um, that is going to be a continuing assault on Section 230, the very underlying platform that allows the president to galvanize people in 2016 to his cause. But then the left, because they don't like the fact that the right was better, got better in 2016 at using these platforms to spread misinformation, information, whatever, have been, you know, basically have brought brought about wanting to do the same damn thing that the Trump administration has started on the path toward. And that is regulating content on these content, uh, regulating content on these communications platforms. Politicians have always wanted to do this. And to, and, and, and to think that like this is just because Trump is evil, all you have to do is look at the history of tweets from Bernie Sanders, who was at one time a contender in the Democratic nomination process this year, and Joe Biden, who equally want to rip down um, the provisions of the Communications Decency Act and to force these platforms to basically become editorials. They should have never done this. The fact when they got into the content business in the mid-2000s, and that there were even then whispers of how they should even um, regulate this type of speech, that started a long time ago. And, you know, there's nothing virtuous about now these this tech press, who doesn't in particular tend to understand the history of why this exists. I mean, advocating for these very platforms to take speech off that they don't like because they think it's toxic and how that has proliferated not only the mainstream of the tech press, but also the mainstream of our political press, our political class, and even our vaunted entrepreneur, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And it all stems around the fact that we've be, we began in 2010 to mischaracterize these information services and networks as platforms. And then we then took that vernacular of the platform and misconstrued it to be the, 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 um, the town square. Platform could mean one thing to an advertiser. It could mean one thing to a content creator. It could mean another thing to an everyday user. This, this goes back to this very interesting piece that me and Gary talked about in episode 910, uh, 10-11 about platforms and how that word has evolved over time. And suddenly we go from, you know, them hating the fact that they were going after Backpage.com to like the left has its faults with the CDA or the Communications Decency Act of 20 uh, of 1996 and the right who was feigning all kinds of crazy outrage. So Backpage.com, you know, is, is, a, is a chief example of this, right? Um, Backpage was classified was a classified advertising website. Uh, it became one of the largest marketplaces for buying and selling sex, according to Wikipedia. See, that's this is the rewriting of history. Um, yes, it was, but so was Craigslist for a long time, right? Um, it was finally seized by the federal government in uh, April of 2018. Um, um, this was one of many assaults on this section uh, 230. Um, under the auspices of stopping sex traffic. 
which was greatly overblown. There's a great article. There's a great synopsis and article and reason um, by uh, oh, what's her name, Elizabeth Elizabeth Nolan Brown, I think. It was excellent. Um, this was completely blown out of proportion, and it began. And big up to Reason.com for having chronicled this. It began the many assaults on uh, the Communications Decency Act of 1996 in Section, and particularly Section 230 of that. Um, and then, you know, social media bias lawsuits keep coming in um, and, and they keep happening and conservatives keep filing them. And like the, the Verge article, which is in the show notes, goes over this. And they asked the question, so why do conservatives keep filing them? Simple. Because the right is now engaging in the same lawfare that the left has engaged in in social media, media, courts, the courts of public opinion for decades. Um, they don't have to win these cases. They just have to get the cases on the docket, build case law and precedents, and for future cases in legal, you know, so that way legal scholars, state AGs, regulators, legislatures could use this case law to investigate and bring suits which is now happening. State attorneys attorneys general are now doing these things. The big tech is going to start to get regulated. And it all goes back to one simple decision that they decided to make. They decided to ideologically edit, editorialize by deplatforming certain abhorrent individuals, uh, deplatforming certain abhorrent views, all these things. And this war is continuing at a time when we need people to communicate freely because we're, we've all been conf not necessarily confined to our homes. Lockdown is a kind of um, it's a play on words. We're not locked down. It's just that we can't do anything because everything has been ordered to be closed by state legislatures, mayors, governors, etc. And this anger is boiling up. Um, these platforms brought this on themselves. It did not have to be this way, but they brought this on themselves. As of this recording of this, as of this recording, um, things are getting crazy. Twitter is going to double down. And, you know, they, uh, the tweet I spoke about earlier from the president talking about, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, they've, they've censored this. They've even censored the, and censored is a strong word. They've definitely, they've censored the whitehouse.gov Twitter account because I guess the president cross, cross, uh, cross posted. And I guess that's against the terms of service, which are nebulous at best. So this is brought on you. And I'm talking to the Twitters of the world, the Instagrams of the world, um, the Facebooks of the world, which is basically Instagram. Um, and when, and when you say that these more abhorrent people or maybe these free speech absolutists attempt to build their own platforms on said infrastructure that is owned by Google, Facebook, etc., cetera, um, I just give you the saga of Gab, who has had to play, who, who's been, it's been a hard time finding service providers for them, for even them to host their own platforms. Um, because, you know, this puritanical policing of speech, I don't give a damn if someone's on Gab using the N-word profusely and even using the N-word against me. It doesn't matter. 
right? You're not going to build a sanitized World Wide Web. And this is starting to have detrimental, this will start to have detrimental effects on them. Because if it's looking increasingly more likely that R, and I use the collective R, like the community of the internet, podcasters, content creators, whoever, feel that we can't post our content on these platforms to amplify our voices, to make our voices heard, to inform the world, or maybe misinform the world. I don't get, I don't care. I'm an absolutist on this. Um, then what you run into is dark corners of the internet for which extremism festers and rises. And it starts to hurt your business model. Case in point, if case you haven't heard, Joe Rogan's taking his podcast and particularly his long form video version of that podcast off of YouTube and he's going to Spotify and the deal will be a hundred million dollars in totem. We don't know over what the terms are, the length of length of the exclusivity deal, but this is happening. And I think other people are going to start to do this. I think Gab is getting traction, gab.com, the uh, preferred platform of the alt-right, according to some, which I think is bollocks. Um, Parler, which is something else, is just something like Gab, but you know, a little bit more um, MAGA-right conservative. Um, I think Spotify, in, in its efforts to boost um, its content delivery, right, of what type of content it wants to deliver, is going to build up a, a video podcast like division. And they're going to start throwing money at podcasters. Um, who's the, the guy from the office just sold his little video podcast that he started on YouTube to CBS? What's the guy's name? Kaslinski, I guess. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know his name. Um, yeah, good, great actor. Played The Office, plays Jack Ryan on the um, Amazon Prime series, Jack Ryan. Um, everyone's starting to disaggregate and move away. Um, what Dave Rubin's doing over at Locals.com, eh, seems, seems like it's getting some traction as well. What we ourselves here are doing at the MLG Network, we're disaggregating. And if BitChute and... Um, these other platforms can truly get their crap together and build excellent platform deliveries that are, are an alternative to YouTube or Vimeo or Twitter or Facebook. And then we're back to the web of 2000 and 2003, 2004, where there was a lot of places you could go. Blogging's coming back. And I think, I think podcasting really is a new blogging. Um, email newsletters are going to come back. I think that is, I think that's important. Um, there are cracks in the edifices of these large tech companies th that they started a while ago and that are going to inevitably bring them down. But what's the most unfortunate part about this is it didn't have to be this way. And they tended to think that because they feel these resistance journalists in tech and where all, all across the press think that going after orange man is good in this context he's still the executive he still has control of these executive agencies he is going to when he gets reelected, and he will be reelected, burrow his surrogates into these bureaucracies i'll put my tinfoil hat on for you the deep state apparatus will exist 
in the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Trade Commission and in the National Telecommunications and Information Administration that will inevitably bugger things up for now and forever. And the rules they lay down, I mean, they're, 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 they're going to come back to bite these journalists. They're going to come back to bite the left. They're already biting the left. But here's the deal. It's mutually assured destruction. They would rather see internet freedom burn than to give an inch to this administration. That is nihilism. That is the ideology of leftists. And it is destructive. And as you can see, things are burning to the ground, particularly on the internet. At a time when we need information from all sources, it's being sequestered. In a time when we need um, to find out what our leaders are actually thinking and saying, they're sequestering it. This is bad. And this will destroy the safe haven that is the U.S. telecommunications network and the platforms that run on those and the Internet as a whole. You have a power that is rising in the East that has no problem instituting a very totalitarian view of how this information resource should be used. The Europeans are just as bad with the GPDR or GPRD or whatever the privacy concerns are. They are ripping the very foundations of the internet apart because of derangement over Trump, because of derangement over the fact that like, maybe, just maybe, some people in the European Union, I don't know, don't wanna be part of that union anymore, that they're anti-immigrant, that they're becoming more nationalist, They've built this edifice, they, and, and, and they don't understand why the, plea, the, the plebs are rebelling, and they hide them under the auspices of protecting you. See, totalitarianism doesn't come from a crazy orange man in the Oval Office currently. It's built over decades, and between, all the things I just laid out are going to make the internet a tougher place to make a living in the future. And so I'm glad that there's some people out there pushing back against this executive order, but you know, it's kind of it's kind of a moot point. It's it's not that the executive order has a whole lot of teeth right now. My boy Ajit Pai at FCC might might take this newfound powers and make rules that have poison pills that don't necessarily give any teeth to taking away Section 230 immunity. But trust me, it doesn't matter if you have. President Trump with a Jeep pie or President Biden with whatever crazy person he puts in as chair of the FCC um, or the FTC. It doesn't matter. Both political parties, both political ideologies want to wield the club of the state to weaken Internet freedoms and protections. Always remember that if you've not been red pilled on this yet, mega country's not your friend and the resist hashtag resistance is not your friend. But I'll leave it with that. Hopefully what comes out of this is nothing, but I, I fear it's going to be something. But that's it, man. That's my little mini episode, my little rant. Minus my man, Gary Guthrie. Hopefully we'll have him back soon enough. But this has been thank you for your servers. Let's make liberty great again, fam. God bless. God bless.